Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Underdog Football Show. I am Josh Norris, thrilled to be back here with episode two. Some jerk suggested we wouldn't even make it here. I'd like to inform everyone that we did. Hope you enjoyed episode one as much as I did. Truly appreciate the comments, the reviews, the ratings, all of it. Already topped 100 in that department. Not saying we stopped there, but I, I really appreciate the support so far. And like I mentioned, Tuesdays and Fridays are going to be the norm for us right now. As always, if you want to go play on Underdog Fantasy, use promo code Josh Norris. Pick them of all kinds, best ball of all kinds. No better time to try out the app on iOS or Android than right now. The app is incredible, so go check it out. All right, this show, the second half, about 20 minutes in, is devoted to the 2021 rookie running back class. There's only one person for that job. It's Mike Renner of PFF. Hopefully you all have the PFF draft guide. And go and check out Mike, obviously, with his podcast, Two for One Drafts. We have this cool exercise where we build a board for the running back position, the top six. We break some groupthink. It's a great discussion. I know you'll enjoy it. But as for the first half, the opening 20 minutes, it's that little surprise I was referring to earlier in the week. I am joined by none other than Hayden Winks. Hayden, question. And, you know, it might be a bit random, but uh, thoughts on potentially working together again? We separated for three months, maybe. It, it's going to be an on, on again, off again type, type <laughs> of situation. It's a very toxic relationship. But yeah, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't separate us for too much longer. Right. Well, I guess that's a yes. And then uh, my other question is, uh, you want to start today? Yeah, we'll start today. Um, let's just get into it. Yeah. So look, Hayden is, is my new co-host, my new co-content producer here over at Underdog. I you know, was gone from... NBC for just a couple months and just missed Hayden so much. Just missed him so much that I had to rope him back into this new endeavor that we have. I'm really excited. I know he and I have been talking behind the scenes for just a short amount of time on everything we have planned for all of you for the content that we have for this next month, the months ahead of the NFL season, and obviously beyond that as well. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, But Hayden, in that same time, and we were just talking before we got started, I am thrilled that that episode went out on Monday instead of Tuesday because Monday we had a significant trade in the NFL. The Sam Darnold was dealt to the Carolina Panthers for a second and fourth round pick next year, a sixth round pick this year. So Hayden, as a USC guy, as someone who has watched maybe every single throw of Sam Darnold's career, 
What was your reaction? Well, first off, Josh, you unfortunately set the standard that you have to make big quarterback predictions on every single show, and the next day it has to come true. So congrats, you played yourself. You know, when that's a rush, whenever that thing happens, it, it, it's an absolute rush. And then you think to yourself, well, you can't just start now giving predictions because now you have to be even more selective with these predictions. And so that's what I'm going to do, Hayden. Sam Darnold came, came and spoke at a couple of my classes at USC. He is my guy. Unfortunately, the same issues he had at USC kind of just fell right to him at the Jets. He doesn't set his feet too often. He can be a little sporadic inside the pocket. He kind of is a big play hunter. He just hasn't been successful doing it, so we don't really kind of view him in that light. They are completely different quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. So for me, it's kind of what is Joe Brady going to do about this because typically Joe Brady likes the Joe Burrow types, the Teddy Bridgewater, stand in the pocket, deliver quick timing routes. Sam Darnold is not that type of quarterback. So um, we obviously have to talk about Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, some of the other guys on the team, how they're, that's all going to mesh. But it is a big change, um, and obviously it has ripple effects all, across the entire NFL. Yeah, the thing about Sam Darnold right now is that he's ass. Like, he's really yeah. bad. You know, he he's frenetic. His ball location is poor. He plays off platform. His feet and upper body, like you mentioned, they're, they're rarely connected. I went back to watch the Sam Darnold highlights during his years with – the Jets, and while he can make some off-structure, off-platform plays, and you know those are exciting, and we can latch on to those, many times the ball location forced wide receivers to completely halt their momentum, forced them completely to stop. I understand it from the perspective of the Panthers, and we talked about this a lot with Charles Robinson on the previous show, that they just simply did not want to watch Teddy Bridgewater for 17 games. That yeah. is the headline statement of this deal. Now, they also did not want a quarterback not named Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson in this draft because as we covered, that means that they would have traded up to number three if, if that was the case. So from that perspective, Hayden, you have a quarterback now who will be 24 when the season kicks off that you basically dealt a future second and fourth round pick, which might be termed a third round pick in this current NFL draft. And then th just this belief that Matt Rule and, and Joe Brady – think that they can improve NFL players and work with NFL players. And it makes sense based on last year and getting back to what you just said, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Mike Davis all went over 1,000 scrimmage yards. Four players in a single offense with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm at the quarterback position. We don't talk about that enough. And if you think that at least Sam gives you more than Teddy, then I understand it from their perspective. Yeah, Carolina finished 16th in passing EPA and 22nd in rushing EPA. That's obviously not very great, but they were 28th in red zone a touchdown rate too. So there might be a little positive regression. The, obviously, the Panthers are just spinning this one way. We know that Teddy Bridgewater has a low ceiling. Sam Darnold clearly has a very, very, very low floor. He's 48 out of 48 quarterbacks since 2014 when Teddy Bridgewater came into the league in EPA per dropback. Teddy Bridgewater's at 30th. They're just hoping, hey, the scenery is going to change. We trust our coaches. We trust our skilled positions. We probably are going to draft an offensive tackle in the first round uh, of this draft. Maybe he'll get a better offensive line than he's uh, used to. And then we can try to unleash the ceiling. I didn't really like the move for the Panthers organization. I think I would rather just go kind of the cap-saving route and draft the rookie quarterback because you're basically getting the same situation as Darnold, a pure upside play. The difference between if Darnold hits and you have to pay him immediately – if one of these rookies hits, at least you have four or five, six years, uh, the fifth-year option, the franchise tag to kind of build around the team. So 
Um, but they made it pretty I, clear they weren't going to do that. You know, right? I understand what you're saying that hey, from all of us on the outside, if we were looking at their with our own evaluations with their roster, why not get a Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and go forward with that? But I think we always have to keep uh, like their perspective in mind with these types of moods. The compensation, I think, was fine. The fifth year option is is fairly significant. But at the same time, Hayden, like I, I don't know if just saying, hey, we're going to pick up the fifth year option. To me, that doesn't dictate that they're locked in with him in 2022 either. Like I, I still think if a big veteran quarterback comes available, then the Panthers are going to jump all over that. But if not, that likely means that Sam Darnold played well, and that likely means that Joe Brady was able to orchestrate an offense around him, and that also means that Joe Brady almost certainly would get a head coaching gig elsewhere. Yeah, and there's like three big names, obviously, for next year that people keep floating around. Aaron Rodgers, of course, Russell Wilson, and then it, we'll see with, with Deshaun Watson as well. So I think if any of those names become available and Sam Darnold had an okay year, a bad year, that's who the Panthers are going to pick first. And then if they can't do that and Sam Darnold stink, then maybe they go the, the rookie route, but... It's very clear that they want to chase the full upside if one of these guys becomes available. And I don't, I don't think that Sam Darnold completely keeps him out of that market next year as well. And they want to build a situation for any quarterback to succeed, whether it be a veteran next year or a rookie next year or Sam Darnold next year. And you mentioned it. Offensive line, I would absolutely place at number eight. And we saw this team last season use every single one of their selections on defensive players. Wouldn't shock me at all if two or three offensive linemen take away from, from this class, and especially there at number eight. You know, it stood out to me that Scott Fitterer, who's the new general manager of the Panthers, just kept repeating big plays, downfield throws, let it loose, all those you know football terms and, and jargon in his press conferences. You can clearly tell that this coaching staff, the, the ownership was absolutely frustrated that Teddy just wasn't doing that. I think that maybe they're going back to their college evaluation that Sam is willing to do that because in the NFL, Hayden, it's not like he's been accurate in that area either. No, he hasn't, but he keeps trying. And that's kind of the difference between Teddy Bridgewater. And like, if you just look at their average depth of throws over their careers, Sam Donald's like one or two yards ahead of that. I think for fantasy purposes, this might impact Robbie Anderson kind of substantially. His ADOT, um, with Sam Darnold in the last two years with the Jets, it was at 15.7 yards, 14.6 yards. Robbie Anderson's ADOT with Teddy Bridgewater last year was at 9.7. So I think you might see Robbie Anderson kind of go back to that deep deep threat element. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, when you lose Curtis Samuel, that's there's a lot more targets that are going to be available. And Josh, I'm looking at the underdog ADPs right now. Robbie Anderson, his he's the wide receiver 33. Mm-hmm. Last year, he was the wide receiver 23 in PPR points per game on wide receiver 14 fantasy usage. They just lost Curtis Samuel here. Like what, what, what exactly am I missing here? I I think that Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold can get the same amount of production. They're just going to do it in different ways. Robbie Anderson seems like he's ranked five, 10 wide receiver spots too low to me. The train makes an appearance at just the right time. Hayden Winks. I think we We, are. We feel at home. We're we're aboard the Robbie train here at a wide receiver 33. In fact, uh, let me pull up the wide receivers that are going around him just above him. Odell Beckham, Will Fuller is going ahead of him. Cortland Sutton, Tyler Boyd, a rookie, and obviously Jamar Chase, Chase Claypool, just after Robbie, DJ Chark, Juju Smith-Schuster, Debo Samuel. Look, you're going to watch the wide receiver position unfold in drafts, either that you do now on underdog or post-draft on underdog, and you're going to love a lot of the wide receivers you select. But just 
don't want to forget like where Robbie started at the beginning of last season. Like you mentioned, his A dot was was lower. They shifted everyone around that slot wide receiver position. And it it's pretty clear that if Joe Brady wants to get you the football, or if he wants to get multiple wide receivers the football, he he can do either. And it does speak to one, Sam Darnold's age. And two, these are absolutely the best weapons he's had in terms of the skill position group. And three, hopefully the best offensive line that he has right now. So it's 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 on him to develop. He just hasn't developed. And I'm just not sure, Hayden, if you can turn weaknesses into strengths in the NFL. Like, it's so rare to do that. So what, what does this mean for the Jets then, too? Obviously, we have Zach Wilson, who's going to be the number two overall pick, unless there's an absolute stunner. What stands out to me about Zach Wilson at, at BYU is that he's absolutely willing to allow his wide receivers to win in contested situations. So someone like Denzel Mims, who that's probably his calling card. That's probably his trump card. To me, that's a, a great fit. And obviously, they spent a boatload of money, money on Corey Davis and free agency as well. Zach Wilson is going to start every single game. And you don't always get that with rookie quarterbacks. Most of the first round rookie quarterbacks start like 12 to 14 games. I think Zach Wilson is obviously going to get all 16. To me, when I'm watching Zach Wilson, he kind of plays like Sam Darnold in that hmm. like, uh, we don't know how Zach Wilson's going to do when there's pressure because that BYU offensive line held up perfectly. And that strength of schedule is a 12th percentile strength of schedule among drafted quarterbacks. So that's the one part we don't know about Zach Wilson's game. I do think they create in kind of the similar ways where both Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson want to throw downfield. They have a good enough arm. They're just mobile enough to pick up first downs. They can do some things in the red zone if you ask them. Uh, Sam Darnold inside the pocket, he panics and he doesn't set his feet. Zach Wilson, we don't know if he's going to be that way or not. Obviously, I think the ceiling at this point is much higher with Zach Wilson. That's why if I were the Jets, I would be doing the same thing and drafting a quarterback over Sam Darnold. Uh, It sounds like Jameson Crowder is probably going to remain on the team at this point. Um, They have plenty of salary cap space to keep Jameson Crowder. And if you want your rookie quarterback to have any chance, that's what the Jets didn't do with Sam Darnold. Surround them with some guys. They have obviously have the left tackle. Their three receiver set right now is pretty serviceable to me, um, especially with Corey Davis in the building. Joe Douglas had a fairly honest press conference after this trade as well. And, and he talked about how, you know, salary in the future was a main driver in this situation. How if they were, you know, at pick three plus, he didn't say that specifically, but he basically said if we weren't at pick two and it wasn't Lawrence or Wilson that we'd be able to get, then we probably would have moved on with Sam as our quarterback. Now, who knows if that's truthful? Who knows if he's being honest? But it does come down to the the monetary situation of, of a franchise at the quarterback position because now you open your window for four or five years with a rookie quarterback if, if you can build around him, whereas obviously Sam, after the 2021 season, they'd have to either pay his fifth-year option or pay him a long-term deal if, if, if that was the case. So I, I do think that was a main driver with, with that conversation. And Hayden, it also makes me wonder about the other teams that could still be into these rookie quarterbacks because while Scott Fitterer and the team site is saying, well, number eight is still open to a quarterback. It's not like that. That is, that is done. We even told you it was done on Monday. So I'm going to list some teams and tell me if I'm off or if I'm not remembering some. Okay. So we have the Atlanta Falcons at four Detroit Lions, which is getting no love at seven. Yes. The the Denver Broncos at nine. Uh, then you have the New England Patriots at 15, Washington football team at 19. Hayden, what do we think about any of those situations? Well, the big one is the Falcons because they control their destiny. I think that the GM might want the quarterback and 
the head coach wants to win with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, kind of right out that the end of those guys' career. I don't know if the Falcons are going to stay and pick a Trey Lance or if they're going to go Kyle Pitts or they're going to trade out of it. Um, that's where it starts. But I, I do agree that I think the Lions have to be in the mix. Everything about the Broncos seems like they don't really like these prospects. So the team that I am really hoping for, and I think they have a really realistic chance of moving up the board, is the Patriots. And I keep looking at Bill Belichick, what he did this offseason. Obviously, that was very unique. They had way more cap space than they usually do. But I'm wondering if he signed all of these free agents to these two- and three-year deals, and he says, all right, I'm getting older. Robert Kraft's getting older. Let's get one final push. I got all of the veterans I want in the building. Let's just see if we can find the right quarterback on a rookie contract for these last four or five years of their careers and just go for it. And I hope that Justin Field is the guy that falls. Of course, Cam Newton and Justin Fields are like a mentor-mentee situation. We've seen the offense kind of tilt to that direction. They want to win with power which no other offense in the league is doing. And you're noticing all, all of the defenses are getting smaller and faster. And I wonder if Bill Belichick says, hey, we're going we're gonna to mix this up. Uh, I think that Trey Lance or Justin Fields would be perfect spots for them. Charles Robinson, we talked about it on the show earlier this week, that if you look up any quote from Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, about Deshaun Watson, about Cam Newton, just these mobile quarterbacks that can raise your ceiling when your offense is figured out and how difficult that is to game plan against. They want one. They absolutely want one of those. And this is a uncommon class when it comes to the quarterback position where there are five quarterbacks that I think are starting worthy. How often do we feel this comfortable, this confident? And sure, your your evaluations can range, your rankings can range and change, but to me, it's absolutely in a position where someone who is at 15 and even Michael Lombardi, who can be hit or miss and hot and cold, he gets some things right, he gets some things wrong, but has mentioned that Washington has their eyes on, on Trey Lance. I wouldn't be shocked if Justin Fields is the fifth quarterback selected. Would you? No, not at all. Right now, I, I'm keeping a little tally here. Adam Schefter, Daniel Jeremiah, Peter Schrager, Dane Brugler, Jim Nagy, or Nagy, they're all mocking Mac Jones to the 49ers. So I don't care what your evaluation on Mac Jones is. He has to be the favorite. That does not mean he's a lock. It is the NFL draft. There are smoke screens. But I do have a little theory I want to want to throw out your way, Josh, here with, with the Carolina Panthers. What if the rookie quarterback they wanted at number eight was Mac Jones? They taught, taught him at the, at the Senior Bowl, and then they learned that the 49ers are going to draft Mac Jones, and they're like, all right, fine, we have to go find somebody else. And that's why they trade for Sam Darnold. You'd be incorrect. What I truly believe is the Panthers only like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson in and among that, that top 10. And in fact, Scott Fitterer and Adam Schefter, if you can kind of like connect the dots here, you know, the Panthers offered their first offer was a fourth round pick for Sam Darnold weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And then it basically got ironed out the day of Justin Fields first throwing session, Ohio state's pro day. Now, I mean, look, we're doing some major dot connecting here, but this is like the fun part of the team building process for those of us trying to peek through keyholes. Uh, that awesome social video that the Panthers created of Sam Darnold with his uniform transforming into the Panthers was created one day before Ohio State's Pro Day. So, Josh, I, hold on. I got to stop you. I know how these social media teams work for NFL teams. I was in the marketing department with the Chargers. 
the social team and the NFL front office, they don't really work together that often. I think the, the social team just kind of like looking, they're playing the same games that we're playing and they're just creating memes left and right. I mean, these are like the true meme lords. I mean, uh, but teams. hey, no one was saying Sam Darnold to the Panthers other than yours truly. No one was, you know? So that that happening on like, or March 26th or March 27th, to me stands out where there was some, some type of a connection. But no, I, I, I really, at my core, feel like plan A for the Panthers was Matthew Stafford. Plan B, Deshaun Watson. Plan C, hoping that someone in that top two didn't like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And then here we are at plan D for Sam Darnold. I think that's the turn of events and, and that how, that, how we got to this point. That makes sense. But And then to me, plan D doesn't mean that you are absolutely going to stick with that in 2022. So they absolutely might be in this exact same situation, maybe even picking higher next year, depending on Sam Darnold's play. All right, rest of the show. We do have PFF's own Mike Renner. I think this is like the fourth or fifth time in a row. It's our annual conversation with Mike. We're going to break down this running back class, do a little draft of those players, find out the specifics where they win, where we wish they won a little bit more, uh, and also go through Mike's players that he is pounding the table for, the ones he's unreasonably high on. So stick around for that right now. Mr. Renner, congratulations on the draft guide being out. It's a wonderful resource. I think the final version is out now. Everyone yep. out there can can go get it. Obviously, in the site, it's something I reference all the time, something I look at uh, in my free time. And that's kind of where I wanted to start this conversation, Mike. I know this is you, you finally have done this for multiple years now. You have the, this wealth of information, this data, database for multiple years. What have you seen translate most from college to NFL at the running back position? I think the biggest thing is broken tackles. The broken tackle rate we have seen done some studies that it's fairly sticky. It's not always like the end all be all just because you break tackles doesn't make you a good running back. There's obviously a level of dynamism, big playability, a lot of other things that goes into the position. But if a guy on either end of the spectrum, if a guy's breaking a ton of tackles at the college level, probably going to do it at the NFL level. And if a guy is not breaking, and I think the bigger, the scarier one is the guys who don't break tackles at the college level. Hmm. Those guys don't all of a sudden just start making guys miss once you get to the NFL. Hayden, it feels like every class with running backs, there's at least one that the entire football collective loves. Like there's a superstar, there's someone who's dynamic. Fair to say that there might not be that in this class. There's not so much of a consensus. There's like a consensus top three. And then my draft model, they were all like nine, low 90th percentile running back prospects. And they all kind of check different boxes. So like, I think every single NFL team is going to stack these three. Uh, maybe some of the other guys way, way, way differently, just depending on what type of scheme they run. Because Travis Etienne and Najee Harris are no, nothing alike. And even Najee Harris and Javonta Williams, who are both bigger backs, they're not that much like either. So um, there's going to be no consensus, especially for the teams, uh, just because they run so, like just totally different offenses. Yeah, Mike, sorry to use my card here and uh, bring you on for possibly the the worst position group in the 2021 <laughs> NFL draft. But uh, let's make it fun. I know you're the right person for it. I was uh, saying you came to a guy at PFF for running backs. You know, first <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you think I'm going to say about these guys? Uh, so I thought a fun way of doing this and going to be the test run here and hopefully we do it with other position groups uh, as the month unfolds is to kind of build our own board of our top five or I guess top six since there are three of us uh, running backs in this class but do it kind of draft style so we'll go Mike first then then Hayden then me and we'll each say one name and probably the one that is at 
the top of our rankings that's still available. Hopefully that makes sense okay. to both of you. So basically, Mike, you get to pick who in your eyes is the best running back in this class. Tell us who it is and why. It's going to be in our final rankings. It is going to be Javante Williams from North Carolina. And it's because of the total package that he brings to the table. He's not quite as explosive as Travis Etienne, but he's pretty darn explosive in his own right. He may not be quite the power back that Najee Harris is, but he can run with power in his own right. And the guy is just impossible to bring down. The youngest of the bunch, only 20 years old still. There's just a lot to like about his profile. And like I said off the rip, missed tackles, broken breaking tackles is the one thing we've seen translate. The highest single-season broken tackle rate we've ever done in our seven years of grading was Javante Williams this past season. So wow. put all those things together and the sort of off-field, all of that, whatever work ethic concerns, off the charts. He was a valedictorian in high school. The guy has it in spades. He is just – he kind of ticks all the boxes that I would like to see no real holes in his game that I'm worried about when projecting to the NFL. Andy had 25 receptions last year, and he did that while splitting time with a back that's probably going to be drafted like around round three – because that is his skill set. So there is kind of a, a three-down potential with Javante Williams. I was very tempted to rank him as my RB1 as well. Like you said, the biggest thing is he's way younger than the other two guys, yeah. and he's in the early declare as well. So there's a lot of things that Javante Williams is ticking. I think like two, three months ago, he was in a tier beneath these guys. I think now the consensus is he's right there with them, and he's. I, I think a lot more people are going to be ranking him as RB1 now. I think this is a great exercise because – I. All three of us are coming to this process at, at, at different points. I don't know Mike's rankings. I don't even know Hayden's rankings, and they certainly don't know mine. Javante Williams is going to be num- my number one back as well. I mean, we all have types when it comes to certain position groups with, with prospects, and what Mike led the conversation with and what he just said about Williams, it, it's the reason why. Like His leg drive and balance is there to pick up hidden yards on, on final contact, even between the tackles. I mean, he creates so many yards – on his own, like these lateral steps against uh, against closing defenders. Uh, I don't know how the rankings started, but I, like you guys are saying, there is a strong push. It feels like for Williams to land as that running back one, and I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL already views him there because it's 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 that combination of of balance, the contact balance, the yards after contact, and then obviously the acceleration as well. I I didn't, and this is just like from a athletic standpoint, and Mike, maybe you can back me up in, in, with his receiving stats or the grades that you guys gave him. Kind of felt like he fought the ball a little bit, like he not as smooth as maybe we've seen some pass catchers and probably we'll get to a couple in this class, but I'm not saying he has to be perfect in every single area in a class that certainly lacks imperfect running back prospects this year. No, in terms of just receiving ability right now, I put him third in that tier of ETN, Najee Harris, uh, and Javante Williams. But I do think like it's something that I think he's talented enough to continue to improve at. We saw even ETN if after he if he was, you know, after his sophomore year, he was a, not billed as a good receiver, worked on it, and now is at least capable uh, of that. I, I think it's something you'll see Williams like he can get open is the bigger thing. Like he, he can run routes. I'll buy into him being able to get a little bit better in terms of his actual ball skills. I think this will be the first year in a long time. I don't have it on me, but at least obviously the last three years we've had in four years running backs in, in the first round, obviously last year, CEH at pick 32 overall just squeaked in there, but it, it would be shocking. Hayden Winks for Javante Williams to land there in round one, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there's only a couple landing spots deep in the late first round anyways. And like the Steelers, like they're always keep being billed as a team that needs one, but they have so many other needs. Like I, I would be pretty surprised there too. So I think all of these guys, I would be starting considering to take them like the mid to late 
second round. Obviously, I'm, I'm more thinking on the PFF lines and the NFL lines when it comes to this running back evaluation. <laughs> so uh, I'm also a little biased there. But yeah, I, I don't think that these are can't miss prospects. These are solid prospects. And I don't think that um, you should be giving round one grades on these guys. All right. Javante Williams, because he was selected first in this exercise, is our number one back on our board at the position. Hayden Winks, who's going to be at number two? It's going to be Najee Harris for me. And I just think that he I'm very confident that he's going to be able to be a bell cow back and have 300 touches. If you want your running back to have 300 touches, I trust his vision a little bit more than Travis Etienne. He's obviously not as explosive. I think that's going to uh, limit him in, in some ways. I think that some people are trying to like compare him to like Derrick Henry. Najee Harris is not nearly as physical He's not nearly as explosive as Derrick Henry is. I see him more like on that, like Steven Jackson. People say Matt Forte. I can kind of see that too. Um, I think he's just going to be a big lumbering back, ball forward for extra yards. He's a pretty decent pass catcher, especially for somebody that weighs 230 pounds. Um, I don't think that he's going to be a super high ceiling player, but I'm I'm pretty pretty confident he's going to be a three down player um, and probably be like a low end RB two um, in most landing spots, even starting this year. I think he's just a very safe projection I, i'm I not agree. sure you're getting a super high-end elite nfl running back but like you're not going to i don't see derrick henry when i watch Najee harris i don't see that level of freak athlete for sure obviously we're not getting any testing numbers on Najee harris but i just he's a different type of guy he's a power back but just not that you know different lead athlete as a power back he's just a solid all-around profile can make guys miss and the biggest thing is also that he has like i said the three down potential he is good pass protector and he is exceptional in terms of just his ball skills. It talked about Javante Williams fighting the ball. That is not the case for Najee Harris. He probably has the best highlight reel grabs actually of any one running back in this draft class on his tape at Alabama. So that none of those are issues. A lot of the things you worry about in the NFL, he's going to be able to do. So I think he's just a very safe sound across the board sort of running back prospect. I knew nothing about Najee Harris before I started watching him, and those back shoulder catches were totally unexpected. Yeah, like right. when he had one against LSU, then he had another one. I think it was against Texas A&M. I mean, it's this big body receiver running, you know, fifteen plus yards down the field, perfectly times the ball to his back shoulder, catches it away from his body, looks so smooth doing it. And when I look at these running backs, like Hayden, I try to find, you know, one signature trait or something that they can win with at the NFL level. It's kind of like a conflict of ideas to, for me to say that. And like, that's his best attribute. Yeah. He runs with a little bit of power. Yes. He has, you know, vision and jump cuts to create space and work, obviously his lanes at, at the line of scrimmage. I, I just don't know if, if, if he like has this common package, like something that is what we've seen coming from the college level. Um, but I think he's solid. Like you guys said, how we open this conversation. He's just really a solid player. He's just I a big dancing bear. That's I, I do think if there is something worrisome, it's that he's 6'2". Like, that's a tall back. He runs high. You know, and yeah, like, a lot of guys, there's not a ton of sort of track record of tall guys succeeding at the running back position. You've got to be, that's why I said Derek Henry, you got to be the physical exception. Right. That's what, what I would worry about Najee Harris. I don't think he's quite that. Maybe the one comp you give is like a Matt Forte would be like the guy who was – Maybe not an elite athlete, maybe nothing special, but just kind of consistently got what was there and then a little bit more. I think that could be Najee. And Hayden, not to like go way in the distant past, way before you probably even had a Twitter account, but I don't know if you remember Matt Forte coming out of Tulane, Mike, but he was dynamic. I mean, he was so much fun to watch. He was mm -hmm. another comfortable receiver who was used there in a lot of games um, in a lot of areas. 
I think that's his absolute ceiling. I, I, I bet he's more of an average football player than NFL, but who knows? All right. I'll go at number three. You know, going into this group, I was trying to get like really excited about players, like certain, again, elements of their game. And Kenneth Gainwell had some elements to his game that I really liked. Yeah, you heard me, Mike. And I'm about to throw out a comp that you guys are absolutely going to hate, but his running style and I think how he can be used at the NFL level. And he's not this caliber of an athlete. But his game reminds me so much of Austin Eckler, just in the usage standpoint and just aesthetically how he runs with the football. I mean, he's that running back wide receiver hybrid. I posted the stats and you guys know I was obsessed with Antonio Gibson heading into last year's class and like Gibson's final year when I really liked him, he had like 30 carries and 30 plus catches. Meanwhile, Gainwell in that same season, because he hasn't played since 2019, had almost 250 carries and 50 plus catches. I mean, his production in that same offense with two wildly talented backs, and he's very different than, than Gibson. But just to me, again, he's not quite the athlete and probably not even close to the athlete that Austin Eckler was. But from that standpoint of how he was used at Memphis and how I think he can also win the NFL, to me, they're very similar. Interesting. I, I like, I like Gainwell. <laughs> I, I think his receiving ability and his ball skills, route running, he, he can be that guy in your offense, like Eckler. You can throw him 80, 90 balls and feel very good about it. I, I just worry about, are you going to really going to give him more than like 10 or so carries a game also? Cause he right. is on, on the smaller side. I, I do worry about him running more, traditional NFL concepts because that Memphis offense given a lot of sweeps and a lot of spread uh, outside zone stuff that he had space to work and didn't necessarily need to run through, you know, outstretched arm defense tackle all the time. And that's something you worry about when a guy's 195 pounds, how is he going to be able to handle that? So that's the one thing with me. It's like, he's not, you value the guys who you don't at the NFL level that you don't have to almost limit a role for. Yeah. You know, if this was a different class and there were a lot of those types that I loved, I probably wouldn't take someone like Gainwell here who I agree with basically everything that you just said, but it's such like a, a blah group to me that why not bring some excitement, some energy and Gainwell, I think can absolutely offer that. Hayden sounds like you certainly don't agree with me. <laughs> I'm out. I'm just, I'm just, Are you totally out? Out. Really? I'm, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to be in my top five. Uh, the problem with him is I didn't really see like enough like contact balance broken tackle wiggle for a 201 pound back and his testing came out and his three cone was 11th percentile. His short shuttle was 12th percentile. And then I looked at the yards per carry, just kind of like uh, referencing the, this Memphis backfield, like Daryl Henderson, 6.1 yards after contact per carry. Kenneth Gainwell is like down at 3.5. So I, I just don't see how he's going to be able to run between the tackles. Yes. I, I, I think he's going to be a third down back. I comp him to Naeem Hines or maybe like a DeAndre Washington, just a smaller back that can win on third downs. I just, I kept watching him like fall down, like in kind of open field when he's about to like make a guy miss and he kind of just like stumbles. And that kind of caught my eye because when you're talking about like a 201 pound back, you can't be doing that. You have to be exceptional at that. And I just, I just didn't see it. So I think I'm going to be a little lower on him. All right. We're halfway through. Now we go back to Mike, who's number four on our board. No snake. You're going back to me. Perfect. Well, then I'll, I'll do Travis Etienne. That one seems like a no-brainer now at this point to me. He's a little worrisome that he came back for senior year and then the offensive line degraded and he couldn't overcome that. Still, he lost a lot of those big plays on his tape that we saw from him in years past. But they're still there to be unlocked. I think he intentionally put on 
some weight and not all of it great weight this past year to try to be that three down guy, try to look more in that mold. But I don't think he needs to be. I think he can trim back down and just be your lightning home run threat. Like that is what he brings to the table is that from standstill acceleration different than any other running back in this class. Like they're just at a special level, even in the NFL, I think uh, he's going to be that guy. And so that's what he has home run ability, get him the ball in space. I don't love, you know, running him, like I said, 20, 30 times a game. I don't think that's who he's going to be. He comes out front. He bounces front side a lot, way too often for my liking. That's just not going to work in the NFL. But I do think a creative offensive play caller can get, a lot of big plays out of that guy to see him back down like 210 pounds maybe even a little bit lighter than that give him the alvin kamara workload where he had averages 10 carries per game and then all of the passing down work the two minute drill stuff and don't try to make him anything more than that because if you zap his speed i'm going to have a lot of concerns because his vision is not that of a first round talent like you were saying he does bounce things outside the one thing is when he gets going he can like really bounce off of tackles because he's got pretty good uh body control like an Alvin Kamara, but his vision is just not up to speed. And I don't want him to be the 215 pound back that he weighed in at his pro day. Uh, he ran like a four, four, five, give me down to like 208 pounds where you're running sub four, three, we'll get you in the right environment. You're not going to be a 300 touch player and just win with that. And I think that type of player is somebody that you take on day two. And I think that's where he belongs. Wow. You guys liked him more than I did. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to, be too far down on a player with his type of speed and like his acceleration that you guys talked about. But I I thought that that was the main element of his game that like he runs fast in a straight line and that's really good. Now that's good. Like that, that can absolutely help uh, an NFL team. And I actually went back to like 2018 and watched him. I did see a lot more balance. I I did see a lot better on contact in 2020 than I, I did in 2018 when he would basically just like fall to the ground. It felt like in the, in those situations. He's fine. Like, I, I I don't know what else to say about him other than all speed with some contact pounds against defensive backs. You know, if, if you give him a runway to go three or four times a game, then you could have some massive, massive big plays. And obviously every team kind of searches, searches for that type. I, I do think the interesting thing was how he would look in an outside zone scheme because mm-hmm. they didn't do that. Like, that's, that wasn't Clemson. That wasn't Clemson's right. offense. But that seems like his skill set would fare well almost Daryl Henderson-esque in the way. It's just when he's up to speed, he, he can bounce off guys, but he needs a little bit of a crease. He's not going to get too uh, creative in a hole to make a guy miss. Number five on our list. Who is it? Well, we're going to get on the the Trey Sermon train here, and he's going to be my RB4. I see a lot, and you kind of have to really trust the process because his production was so-so, and he did it on like basically like 500 of his yards came in two games. But like Josh, you were saying, I'm trying to find something in this running back class. And I think Trey Sermon is the guy that's not going to be drafted in the second round. That could be a bell cow type of player. Um, He had 73rd percentile adjusted spark athleticism, uh, really good agility for a guy that weighs 215 pounds. And you see this with some of these jump cuts, especially at Ohio State um, late in the season. He's got a little more wiggle than a lot of these big guys. And I think that he can win on third downs just enough. Um, I kind of see like maybe like a little Melvin Gordon ish in his game. Um, I wouldn't be ranking him as my RB four in most classes, but I think in this class he has the best chance to be able to. You put him on the field and you don't know if you're going to run the ball or pass the ball. And I think some of the other guys, it's one or the other. And I think that Trey Sermon actually has a chance. I love Trey Sermon. 
Like I'm, I'm right with Hayden on this one. If, if we talk about guys who can potentially be, you know, feature backs on their team and maybe from this class, they can develop into one or become one. I think Trey Sermon is, is really high up there on that list and his game against Northwestern. If anyone out there needs to watch one, I mean, I absolutely loved that guy. He's so smooth. His interior runs with first contact at the linebacker level, like he was just winning on contact, winning outside of contact. He had wiggle. He he had vision. I know he's older. I know he's transferred, uh, all those things. But Trey Sermon is someone that I watched him, and I could kind of see how he was playing on Saturdays, translating over into Sundays. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, he's almost like a poor man's Javante Williams. Like I think all the pros you say about Javante, you can also say about Trey, but to like a slightly lesser degree, I don't feel – the similar level of like high end athleticism there, even though he tested out really well, like athletically, he is an explosive dude. He's far more sudden and burst through a hole than he is run away from you down the football field. And he makes guys miss like you guys fall off his legs. He's sneakily big in his lower half and like sneakily powerful down low that, you know, he can shred a lot of arm tackles. And that's again, the profile of a guy who you're not going to have to limit his sort of touches or what he's going to do in your offense at the NFL level. Yeah. That, that Northwestern game was great. That Clemson great game is, is great as well. Now it helps Mike to have an awesome offensive line. It also yeah. helps to have a quarterback who runs a four, four, five back there that when they would use reads, uh, you know, a, a defender always seemed to have to have a responsibility or eyeballs on him. And, you know, that just takes one away obviously from someone that could attack Trey Sermon instead, all those things are good. But then I always go back to it with this, that, you know, good backs pick up the yards block for them and, and great backs create on their own. And Trey Sermon Hayden is absolutely someone, as you outlined, who can win in his own after contact. This is just a very small part of my evaluation, but he was a four four star recruit. And all the other guys we're talking about from this point on are like two stars, three stars, like non-FBS schools. I'm at least looking at a four star recruit that was recruited by Lincoln Riley, then went to Ohio State. Um, he obviously faced a lot of competition. There was like a knee injury that happened that kind of forced him his way to transfer. But at least you have the pedigree. At least I can see it in, in instances, and this, especially those two games that you mentioned. And I haven't seen the full package with some of the other running backs in this class. So if I'm going to just roll the dice on a back that maybe could be a 250-touch guy, I'm going to go with Trey Sermon. All right, I will go at number six and look. I was hoping Trey Sermon was going to be here so we could put like a little nice – book into this conversation. Uh, I, you know, I watched a, a bunch of others, you know, I watched Michael Carter. I, I watched Puka Williams. I watched Kylan Hill. I, I watched all, and they just didn't do anything for me to be perfectly honest with you. Like I wouldn't know how to necessarily use Michael Carter, even though we talked about Kenneth Gainwell, I much preferred him in, in somewhat similar fashion. Um, so here's a big curveball, and I'm going to try to find and identify for everyone out there. The next Mike Boone, the next Matt Breida, maybe someone who goes undrafted or super late, who I think has the upside to, to hit in the NFL. And that's Iowa State's Kene Nwangwu. Mike, do you have anything on Kene Nwangwu? I haven't watched him, man. You got you even came off my radar. I'm sadly, go. yeah. I know Hayden and I have. Um, yeah. This is someone who is a probably the most athletic running back in this class. I think he had a composite score around like the 98th percentile. 
he was someone who was just electric and he's coming off, I think an Achilles injury, right? Hayden, but yeah, a couple of years ago, but yeah, right. But when I see that burst, when I see that acceleration, when I see vision, but when you also want to find prospects at this position that you can find winners and round six, round seven and undrafted productive players, he's probably the one that I'm most excited about. Yeah, it's him and Chris Evans from Michigan are kind of like the same profile as a backup running back that tested like out of this world with Kenny. He, he I mean, he set records as a as a kick returner for Iowa State. And I don't like playing this game of, oh, he was backing up David Montgomery. He was backing up Brees Hall. That's why I didn't see the field. But I mean, those guys are that's like pretty solid running backs to be behind. I put out a clip that I saw. This dude hits the hole like I've never seen somebody running. He ran a 4-3-1. That was not a surprise to me at all. Mike, the good news for you when you watch the tape, it's going to take you about six minutes because he only saw <laughs> 150 touches in his entire career. So um, this is a big galaxy brain thing from, from Josh to put him in here. But if you're going to be looking for a, a fifth, sixth round player that could maybe be a backup running back and help you on your special teams, I think this guy deserves at least some attention. Obviously, any production model not going to be popping at all because he had 150 touches. But if you're looking at just raw athleticism and the guy that can help on special teams with a chance to develop, I'm with Josh here. How many backs do you have uh, in the draft guide? Gosh, uh, 20 something. Good. I gave just, you homework. Look at us. I'll have to, I'll have to watch him. Uh, <laughs> the numbers are insane though. Him, Elijah Mitchell and Chris Evans, all late rounders who tested really well. No, uh, no to. Jake Funklove out of Maryland, Mike. No, he's not in the draft guy either. Really <laughs> Josh, I had never heard of him either. I mean, what order are you watching these prospects in, Josh? This is out of control. We need to we need to get you a top 10 list. Do not question the process here, Hayden. Do not question <laughs> okay. the process. To be honest with you, and, and maybe you guys can fill me in on, on some names that could have been at number six that you like and, and you want to give a shout out to, Mike, here. But I, I, I did watch a handful of others and just saw nothing exciting. And, and then I watched Nwangwu out of Iowa State, and I was like, oh, this is something that – Probably not round three or round four, and who knows what happens uh, at the end of April, early May. But it's just not uh, in a class that lacked excitement. He excited me, and so that's why I just wanted to mention him here. Mike, who who did I miss though? I would have gone either Khalil Herbert or Michael Carter. Probably Khalil Herbert. There, I think he's got an interesting profile in that he was really good his last year at Kansas before he left the team. Except, I mean, like out of this world production at Virginia Tech after transferring, just didn't get a ton of touches, uh, like on a per-touch basis, incredible, tested out really well. It's kind of in my mold of running backs where if you are 5'8", 5'9", and rock solid, I think it's 210, that's a guy that's tough to bring down at the NFL level, that low center of gravity, and it makes cutting and that sort of thing a lot easier. You watch him just cut from sort of full speed going on outside zone or sweet plays, and it just doesn't lose an inch. So that, that would be my guy if I'm like sitting there at the back end of the third round really needing a running back. That's who I would probably tag. Hey, I, else? I mean, I, I just want to second that he was um, fifth in yards after contact per carry per PFF last year. And what I like about him is it's, it's kind of like two dimensions for me. Like I want to be able to break uh, my running back to break tackles, but he also has to be athletic enough to do something with it. And we see some of these guys that break a lot of tackles, but they kind of get stuck in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage. I see Herbert as someone that has a little bit of explosiveness beyond that. And I think that he could be the guy that kind of just pops and kind of sneaks in there. Of course, in production, like early career production was just really bad, but it was, it was also Kansas. Like I don't yes. want to be trust, trusting Kansas evaluations here. And it was with Puka Williams as well. So I think that there is 
He's not going to pop in any production model, but I watch him. I can see it. The testing was there. The advanced analytics for this last season were there. I can see why you can get on board with him like round three, round four. Cool. Um, speaking of not knowing prospects, Mike, we have to do this. It wasn't necessarily part of the segment that we had pre-planned, and I don't even know the names you're about to bring up, but the previous three or four years when you and I have had this conversation, it's mainly about the prospects that you are unreasonably high on, that if you worked an NFL team that you would probably pound the table for, because we know that you go through at least 23 running backs, 24 to be soon. And so at any position, Mike, maybe give us three names and just go one by one. And I'm sure I haven't watched these yet, but some players that, that you would pound the table for, some prospects that you would. Some of them are early. These guys are like early rounders, but I, I'm a big fan of all of them. First one is Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I just think he's being undersold in terms of being pigeonholed in the slot with his size, but he plays a lot stronger. And you saw he go to the South Carolina tape, him going against J.C. Horn. He got off press against J.C. Horn better than any other wide receiver in the SEC. Like no one got off J.C. Horn's press this year. That's why he's going top 15 in this year's draft. Elijah Moore did. And yeah, you can have a two-way go from the slots. a little bit different in terms of how you can approach that. But he's, I think he has that wiggle. And then obviously ridiculously dynamic athlete and the production speaks for itself. So I think he can be, I think he's closer to Jalen Waddle than like he's been given credit for in that. And Jalen Waddle's like similarly sized, similarly, he's obviously a little bit more dynamic with the ball in his hands, but Elijah Moore can be that as a receiver. So I go hit him one, say the next one's Jason Owe. Penn State edge defender, the guy, like, you've seen improvement from him is the biggest thing. It's when a guy is that physically freaky and maybe the single best athletic testing all-around profile of anyone I've ever seen on the defensive as defensive end, just out-of-this-world numbers. And then when you've seen him actually improve and started playing football in 2016, wasn't even a starter until this past year, but you saw from his sophomore year to his junior year, legitimate improvement in terms of how he approaches blocks with leverage how he uses his hands and it showed in the PFF grading too. And just that upward trajectory, if a guy's putting in the work and doing that, he doesn't need too far to go. You know, when he's that athletic, you don't have to go too far. And then probably the last one I'd stay on the table for is Walker Little, the Stanford offensive tackle. He's. He hasn't played since like 2018, right? He hasn't played since 2018. He played one game, 2019, hurt his knee, missed that year, opted out, didn't go to the senior bowl. So we don't really know, but you can you can see where he was as a sophomore, which was basically developmentally on par with the likes of Tristan Wurst. Andrew Thomas, he was right up there in terms of how he played the game of football at that point. And that right up there in terms of physically what he brings to the table. His pro day was exceptional in the change of direction drills. Like he is has it all, but we just never saw that next step. And it's like, do you, how many guys don't continue to develop on the offensive line over the course of their career? How many guys like take a step back? That's a very skilled and developmentally based position the guys put in the work and i think you can see it watch his pro day and see the numbers he put up and realize that he's been putting in the work the past year and a half he hasn't been just sitting on his thumbs waiting to get drafted so i think he's the guy to where he could have been up in that conversation with penny sewell if we saw him play the last two years he could have been in the conversation with you know andrew thomas last year if he actually played the full year as a junior because he looked good in that northwestern game but we just didn't see it and so I think everything we know about player development says that it would have likely happened or very well would have likely happened. So if you're debating between him and some guys who have lesser profiles at the back end around one of the tackle position, give me that guy all day, every day. I love that. Uh, 
I watched a little bit of him actually yesterday, and I, I went back to his probably freshman year against N- your Notre Dame, uh, oh, Mike no. Renner, and he, he got yeah. he got thrown around a little bit in that game. Um, but Good. you know he was he, <laughs> 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 he was probably about eighteen. But wasn't he like the the like number one recruit coming out of high school? Yeah, too? he had like, the highest spark score of any of those guys in that class. That was Becton, yeah. Worfs, and he had the highest spark score. So, and this is an unreal offensive line class, and especially in in terms of athletes. And so we do see random names creep up there, like to late parts of round three, even early parts of round three in, in previous drafts. So even if a team gets him and who knows where he's going to go based on all that information, but like round four, round five, because this class is so good, then you're probably getting someone in previous draft classes that that probably would have been higher. Um, and you mentioned Elijah Moore, perfect segue Tuesday preview with Matt Waldman with wide receivers. I am not going to reveal my thoughts on Elijah Moore, but Mike Renner, they probably quite align with yours as Ooh, well. Hey, there we go. And Hayden Winks probably does as well. Big time. The models pop. Maybe I'm not unreasonably high then. Maybe I'm just, I'm just in good company. In fact, he might be a top five slash top six wide receiver for me, and that might not be high enough. So, uh, big fan, big fan of you too, Mike Renner. <laughs> you can, uh, you can check out the PFF draft guide. Mike, is there uh, like a, a URL for? It? Is it just over on PFF.com/draft? There is a URL. I don't know it off the top of my head. Love just it. Go to PFF. It'll, it'll like blast you with it probably somewhere. Love right it. There. And also go and check out. Mike and Austin's podcast. It's two for one drafts. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's on your any podcast provider out there. Uh, and go follow him on Twitter. PFF underscore Mike. Big fan of yours. Thanks for being a friend. Thanks for doing this, Mike. Really appreciate it. For sure, Josh. Always fun, man. Can't wait to do it again next year. <laughs> there you go. All right, Hayden, let's close out this conversation on, on the rookie running back class. I think a good way to do it is just looking at this rookie group's ADPs in relation to other backs that are out there. Uh, these are all underdog ADPs. You can go play best ball right now in underdog, and especially after the draft. Just use promo code Josh Norris. I'm sure we'll get one for the show, Hayden. By the way, Hayden, I should also mention, uh, eventually the logo will change. Um, that might take a few weeks. It's going to say and Hayden Winks on the bottom. I but- wasn't going to ask, but I was. I, I, I did. Ask. Kate, my my fiance Katie did ask me about that. I was. I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to make a big deal about it. But yeah. To to your credit, you did not ask. It was not assumed either. But just know, I think of these things in relation to you. Uh, I would say that uh, the staff is busy at the moment, but at some point it will happen. Okay, so just know I'm thinking about you. I have you in mind. So my stuff. my name going on the little thing is less important than creating new types of games and making sure everything else is ready. Making money, possibly, possibly okay. for right. uh, for this company. All right. So so let's do that. Obviously, the tail end of the conversation we just talked about um, with Mike Najee Harris. Najee Harris is going as the top running back in this class, and Hayden his ADP is somewhere around thirty three or thirty four, and he's sandwiched between James Robinson and Josh Jacobs. Fair. I think it's fair. Um, I would just say the one thing that's not fair about the Najee Harris ranking is that Javante Williams ADP is down at 53. That's a 20 spot difference. And like we just talked about, I I think that they're going to be drafted closer than people think. And I think that their roles are going to be kind of similar. Um, I would rank Najee Harris in fantasy over Javante Williams as much as we like Javante Williams. I think that the the three down workload is pretty bankable with Najee Harris. So I think that his ADP is pretty fair right now. And I think he had a video that say it's Najee. And I need to keep telling myself that it's not Najee Harris. So I will fix that from now on. After Harris, we mentioned it's Josh Jacobs. And then just one pick after that is Travis Etienne. And Hayden, he's ahead of Chris Carson, ahead of David Montgomery, ahead of Kareem Hunt, 
Chase Edmonds right now. I think people listening to the conversation we just had with Mike uh, might disagree with that one because I absolutely do. Yeah, I think I would probably rank him a little bit lower. The one thing I just keep going back to is I, I think that him catching 37 and 48 passes the last two seasons, I do think that teams are going to view that as a positive, even though we don't think that he's like the greatest pass catcher. And I think that his role ultimately will be pretty solid just because he's probably going to be a top 40, top 50 drafted player. Um, it's going to be really depend on the landing spot. I think Mike made a good point that, about that outside zone stuff. If he goes yeah. to the wrong fit i would have some troubles there but i do think the draft capital is enough to warrant somewhere and maybe he's like your rb3 uh on a team uh, maybe if you went like rb wide receiver wide receiver wide receiver then travis Etienne's your, your rb2 i'd be fine with that too yeah look we're gonna reset this conversation after the draft when we know landing spots and we also know if you know the cardinals selected another running back or if the 49ers selected another running back or if seattle selected a running back so uh but this is for the next month you know some of you are still playing best ball right now we'd love you for it especially if it's over at underdog and if you think you have an advantage an edge when it comes to these rookie classes um you can you know act on that and play best ball right now all right after that just two spots again chris carson dave montgomery and then our running back one at least Mike and I's, Javante Williams. Javante Williams around 51 overall ahead of Kareem Hunt, Chase Edmonds, Melvin Gordon, and Raheem Mostert. Uh, if, if there was someone and you just talked about no landing spot, just isolated individual, Javante Williams, as we just discussed, would be the one that I am most comfortable and confident in. But again, I just mentioned Chris Carson. I think he might be one of the more undervalued running backs going in drafts right now. And I would say the same thing with the current situations of Chase Edmonds Hayden. My comp for Javante Williams is Chris Carson. Um, the one thing I just don't know about his rookie season is just because he wasn't this like glorified pass catcher. Is he going to get pigeonholed in year one? I think that's probably why his ADP is suppressed a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he's got a good chance to be a, a really quality rusher. And I think that he can catch passes. It just kind of depends on the landing spot here. And I don't know if we have to dive into these individually, but you know, Kenneth Gainwell is going after Damon Harris, David Johnson, Jeffrey Wilson outside of the top 100. Chuba Hubbard is around 122, which is after Kenan Drake, Tony Pollard, Gus Edwards. Again, these are all underdog ADPs. Trey Sermon, who we all really like, 141 after Michael Carter, another rookie, uh, Latavius Murray, Zach Moss, and Naeem Hines. My, my biggest takeaway, and when I, I did a best ball draft like last week, I drafted Trey Sermon really late. This is the guy. Like ADP 137, 140, wherever he is currently, he should not be going uh, behind Chuba Hubbard. I think Chuba Hubbard has a chance, but I think Trey Sermon is going to be drafted as the RB4, RB5, kind of depending on where these like Michael Carter, Kenneth Gainwell types go. He's the guy that all of a sudden he's drafted by the Falcons. He competes with Mike Davis. He's the number two. Mike Davis sprains his ankle. Trey Sermon is all of a sudden has a three-down workload. He's the guy in the class that has this. That's what we talked about with Mike, his ADP right now to me is way too low. Love it. That's really good context. Um, and again, we are going to go back through a lot of this stuff immediately after the draft and do a whole reset uh, on the position. But again, that's some context for you at this moment. Once again, we'll be back on Tuesday with Matt Wallman to dissect the wide receiver class, a fantastic group. I'm certainly excited to have that conversation with Matt. So uh, join us then. Be back with us. Hopefully you have a great weekend, Hayden. 
I'm a little bit rusty talking with someone else. I've been cooped up with in my condo and in, in my apartment by myself for these last three months. Uh, but thanks for being here. I'm so glad we get to, uh, you know, make some content again together. The ratings and reviews have helped tremendously, as is telling one friend. So thank you very much for that. Hayden, thank you. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.